This is The Skip Bayless Show, episode 94, in honor of the baddest Dallas Cowboy pass rusher ever. I'm talking about beyond Bob Lilly, beyond Randy White, beyond Harvey Martin, beyond Too Tall Jones, beyond DeMarcus Ware. I'm talking about number 94, Charles Haley who was virtually unblockable. If only Micah could do that. Mm. This, as always, is the un-undisputed everything I cannot share with you during the debate show of two and a half hours that is undisputed. Today, I will share with you the probably, probably cockamamie scenario I have for the 23 Cowboys as they head into 24, a scenario I seriously believe in and I will share with you soon. Today, I will tell you a story of how legendary Michigan coach Bo Schembechler once threatened to knock my teeth out, quote unquote, while I was at Disneyland. True story. Today, I will tell you why. For once, we did zero NBA topics on Undisputed the day after Christmas. Hmm. And I will tell you about the Christmas gift I was forced to buy for my wife, Ernestine, by my wife, Ernestine. And finally, I will tell you how you can change and prolong your life by changing two very simple things in your life on January the 2nd. Trust me on this. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. I start with one of your great questions. This is Josiah from Arlington. Do you believe this is a bad Cowboy team, or is it a team that simply can't win on the road? Okay, Josiah, allow me to psychoanalyze the strangest Dallas Cowboy team I have ever encountered. Allow me to to use some self-therapy on myself as this team has slowly destroyed my psyche. I love this team. I hate this team. I refuse to give up completely on this team because I still believe it can and will do great things this year, this season. As long as everybody gives completely up on this team. Let me explain. So, As you well know, this team played on Christmas Eve in Miami. I did not love what happened in Miami, but I didn't hate what happened in Miami. It just somehow left me, if you saw my video that we posted on all of our undisputed platforms, it just left me flat. My elation over the way my team played at Miami was undercut ultimately by deflation. I I just knew 
we were going to lose that game from the opening drive on. Overall, we played okay. Actually, we played pretty well. We're up 20 to 19 with three minutes and 27 seconds left. And I just knew we were going to lose. I mean, deep down, flat out, knew it. Called it on Twitter. You can look at my timeline. I just knew my defense on that day could not stop Tua from moving his team 64 yards in 12 plays to set up the walk-off field goal because obviously all they needed to win 22 to 20 was a field goal. And that is exactly what happened. In the end, it made me feel like I, I wish it had been 42 to 20. But it wasn't. It, it was 22 to 20 on a walk-off field goal. Now, remember, this was the same Miami Dolphins team that scored 70 at home in three quarters on Denver. We held that team on its home field to one touchdown, one touchdown in four quarters. We held that team to one out of four in the red zone. Three times we stopped it in the red zone. We forced that team's kicker, who came into that game six out of 16 from 50-plus yards in his NFL career, six out of 16, to make three field goals from 50-plus yards, and he made all three, including two more inside of 50 yards, including that walk-off chip shot of a field goal. That's what it took. That's what we held them to. Same Miami Dolphin team that came into that game leading the NFL in yards per rush attempt, 5.1 yards every time they handed the ball off coming into that game. We held that team to 91 total rush yards. We had 97 rushing yards. So we outrushed the Miami Dolphins in its in, in their home stadium, 97 to 91. It's pretty impressive. We won the coin toss, and we finally did what I have been banging the table for all season long. When you have the number one offense in pro football, you don't defer. You just say, thank you, God, and you do what Tom Brady always did. I'll take the football, and I'll drive it down your throat, and I'll be up 7 to nothing, and I'll make you play from behind and match me instead of me having to match you. We won the coin toss. We did not defer. We took the ball 75 yards in 13 plays, as we do better than anybody, anybody in the league. We do that better. Nobody drives the ball more plays per possession than we do. 75 and 13. First and goal at the Miami one yard line. One yard. We got four cracks at scoring seven points. We have four cracks at making them play from behind, making to oppress a little bit, making them throw more than they want to throw. And what did my play caller, my genius of a head coach, Mike McCarthy, do? He'd found a new secret weapon on this drive on two third and ones. He had handed the ball 
to an undrafted free agent rookie fullback, Tyler Lipke, excuse me, Hunter Lipke, how quickly I forget. I'm trying to forget it completely. Hunter Lipke, three carries he'd had the whole year going into this game. And because he had converted the two third ones, Mike says, aha, I got this. I'll hand it to Hunter. He should have handed it to Tyler Lipke, but it was Hunter. You can say it was a bad exchange. It looked like Dak put the ball in the right place, and the undrafted rookie free agent on his sixth NFL carry in a huge game on Christmas Eve in Miami fumbled. Miami recovered. We never did. We never recovered from that moment forward. Right away, we pushed the Dolphins back into third and nine at their three-yard line. Tua was going to have to throw it out of his end zone. He dropped back with no heat at all on him and heaved a 50-yard bomb up the sideline to Jalen Waddell, who had a step on Stephon Gilmore. 50-yard completion out of jail. You just can't. You, you can't. You have them. You have them backed up. You either got to cash the touchdown or cash defensively, force them into a turnover, at least make them punt out of their end zone. Nope, out of jail. Not once that entire game did we ever make the play on defense that turned the game into a dub. Just one time we needed to force that one turnover on the road that changed life, changed the season, changed the momentum back in our favor. On the road, my team is tied for 25th in takeaways in the NFL, tied for 25th. In the big road games at San Francisco, we did force one. We we hit McCaffrey. Jordan Lewis hit him so hard near the goal line that he coughed it up. That was one turnover that we forced at San Francisco. Of course, we lost 42-10. to 10. At Philadelphia, we lost with zero turnovers forced. At Buffalo, zero turnovers forced. At Miami, zero turnovers forced. At home, we are tied for fifth in takeaways. At home, our turnover differential is plus 10. That leads the NFL in home games. In home games, we lead in turnover differential, the all-important stat. So, Josiah, it feels like, seems like, smells like, we're just a horrible road team. Against the run, at home, we're fifth in the league. On the road, we're 28th in the league against the run, 28th. But we had a decent day at Miami. Obviously, we have won 15 straight games at home. But here, Josiah is the real answer to your question as far as I'm concerned. Here's why these road, quote-unquote, demons make no sense to me. I remind you, 
on opening night of this season. It still counts. We're still in the 23 season. Opening night, we beat the New York football giants 40 to nothing on the road at their place. 40 to nothing. That same Giants team had made the playoffs the year before and won a road playoff game at Minnesota against Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. That Giants team was playing full strength on that night, even though my Cowboys were three-and-a-half-point favorites because they're really good. They're really loaded. They got serious firepower. Even though we were favored by three-and-a-half, against Daniel Jones and Saquon, full strength in that defense. They got pieces on that defense. 40 to nothing we won. 40 to zip. Zero, zilch. That's impressive on the road. Josiah, if you if you told me we were now 0-7 on the road, you'd, you'd have me. But no, we went to the Chargers when we felt like we were about down and out, when we desperately needed to win against a Chargers team that had won two in a row to rise up to two and two, coming off a bye week and off a previous game in which Khalil Mack had six sacks. Justin Herbert was reasonably healthy for that game. That's tough, man. We're only a point-and-a-half favorite at the Chargers. So Vegas is saying it's a fairly close game. It's pretty much a toss-up game. Point-and-a-half favorite. We we squeaked it out. It was 20-17, to 17, but I'd say that was an impressive road team against a team that at that point was pretty good, coming off a bye with momentum, having won two straight. The truth was, Saturday at Miami, despite the the pain that I felt because I never thought we had a chance to win the game, Saturday at Miami was an impressive road performance. I don't care what you say. 22 to 20 at, at their place is very impressive, even though I never thought we could win. Look. We got knocked on our ass at Buffalo. I did not see that coming. They didn't see that coming. We got our blocks knocked off at Buffalo. We got emasculated at Buffalo. We got left for psychologically dead at Buffalo. We lost momentum. We lost confidence. We lost whatever that winning edge thing is. We just lost our way at Buffalo. At Miami, we did not have Jonathan Hankins once again, our primary run stuffer. At Miami, we did not have our soon-to-be Hall of Fame left tackle, Tyron Smith. Both should be ready to go this Saturday against Detroit at home. We're six-point favorites at home. Vegas is still saying we're, we're significantly better than the division-winning Detroit Lions, who still have a shot at the one seed, in part, probably large part, because Detroit has given up the 24th most points in the NFL. 
Detroit hasn't been very good on defense, but they're very good on offense. They're the third best rushing attack in the league behind Baltimore and Chicago. But my point about Detroit is when it's time to seize control and momentum, they're just playing better football than we're playing right now. The truth is, I like Detroit to win this game Saturday at Jerry World, break our streak of 15 straight wins at home. The truth is, I hope we do lose to Detroit at home this Saturday because I believe that's our only hope. Allow me to explain. Now back to my potentially cockamamie theory. My team needs to hear that it's quote-unquote dead. My team needs to be written off at this point in late December turning to 2024. My team needs to be ignored as nothing but a pretender. My team needs to hear, oh, now they can't even win at home. They're garbage, they're trash, they're old news, they're last year's news. My team needs to play nobody at Washington in the finale, the regular season finale and lose badly just the way we did a year ago. Same song, second verse. My team needs to go play a first-round road playoff game at Tampa Bay, just as we did last year. Just as we did when Dak played very possibly his greatest Cowboy game ever. Remember that? It was a playoff game. It was on the road. Dak went 25 of 33 that night at Tampa. Four touchdown passes, zero interceptions, a QBR scale 0 to 100 of 97. It was a masterpiece. It was a tour de force. It was one for the mantle. Dak Prescott sent Tom Brady into the sunset, into the night. Final score was 31 to 14. Which brings us full circle to a Tampa team that has now won four straight games. New Orleans on Sunday, chance to clinch the division. which brings me to Baker Mayfield. Allow me a quick aside. I said ahead of that draft, I'll take Baker Mayfield number one overall over Sam Darnold, the darling of most of the media out of USC. I cannot express to you the grief I took for that call and then what began began to happen to Baker thereafter. I can't tell you the crap I took on live TV on Undisputed over the years from Baker haters. You've heard me on this podcast several times before defend him to the death. 
over what a sensational rookie year he had. Didn't even start the first couple of games. Came in for Tyrod Taylor. Won seven games for a team that had been 0-16 the year before. That hot streak he got on later in his Cleveland career, that 8-2 and two streak. He led Cleveland to its first playoff win, again, on the road. Since 1994, that one was at Pittsburgh against their division rival. Baker Mayfield had a QBR of 92 in that game. But in his final year in Cleveland, he got hurt week two, tore his labrum, fractured his shoulder, tried to tough through it, couldn't, played poorly, fell into a mess at Carolina a year ago, wound up in Tampa with his last hurrah this year, and look at him now. They've won four in a row. Baker Mayfield can play. I've been proven right once again, about Baker Mayfield. Tampa should sign him now, give him three years. He is their near future. He might even be their long-term future. He's only 28 years of age. But that brings me to what could happen for my Dallas Cowboys. I'm a Baker fan, but I'm obviously a much bigger Dallas Cowboy fan. I wasn't a Baker fan just because he played at the school I love, the University of Oklahoma. I grew up loving in Oklahoma City. But time out, think about this. What if I told you the night that Baker was drafted that he would wind up following Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. You would have said to me, no way Tom Brady's going to Tampa Bay. He's in New England. He's going to finish in New England. It has been written. He would finish as a Patriot, right? No, wrong. He got pushed out the back door. He said, I think I'll go to Tampa. I was surprised. The world was shocked. Did have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. They had made Pro Bowls. Oh, okay. Tom Brady obviously won a Super Bowl in Tampa. And now Tom Brady is being followed by Baker Mayfield? It's surreal. It's impossible. The script would get rejected by every studio in Hollywood, but it's happening right before your very eyes. But the point is, my Cowboys can and will beat Tampa Baker in Tampa. They aren't great at protecting Baker. They aren't great at running the football, even though they've been a little better lately. They're not great at it. Dak Prescott plays like Roger Staubach against that Bucks defense, which can leak. It's getting up there in years. It can be vulnerable. It will be vulnerable when we visit. We will win at Tampa, as we did last year. It might not be 31 to 14, but we'll win that game. We'll get back on our horse and we'll ride it. And I hope we ride it all the way to San Francisco 
where the third time will be the charm. They have knocked us out of the playoffs the last two years. I say bring this on. We obviously lost there this year, regular season, 42 to 10. That thing, 42 to 10. I want the 49ers again. I'll take them in the divisional round if that's meant to be. I'll take it again. We will win this time in San Francisco. I just hope that nobody gives us a chance to win at San Francisco. I hope we are so written off. We are so ridiculed. We are so scoffed and laughed at. We are so dismissed going into that game. I hope everybody predicts we'll lose 42 to 10 in a playoff game for the third straight year at San Francisco. Last year, we went out there and lost 19 to 12 because Dak threw two second quarter interceptions, two. And we lived to tell about that until Dak missed five throws in the second half that were open, especially a late one to Michael Gallup that could have been a touchdown that would have changed life that would have forced overtime. 19 to 12, we lost. Did you see Brock Purdy on Monday night against the Ravens? Brock Purdy has what I call the haywire gene. I watched Brock Purdy a lot at Iowa State for four years. Brock Purdy will try just about anything. A lot of times, he'll complete just about anything. But if you happened to jump up on him, if you happen to make him play from behind, he will try too hard, as he did Monday night against Baltimore. Our pass rush can get after Brock Purdy just the way the Ravens did. If you get after him and he's trying too hard, he'll throw a couple to us. So... What if we do wind up, let's just project, what if we wind up in Philadelphia for the NFC Championship game? We ain't afraid of no Eagles. I just hope that everybody would say, you got no chance, no prayer, no hope, no way in Philadelphia. And I'll remind you right now that in the fourth quarter of that regular season game at Philadelphia, Dak Prescott threw for 173 yards in the fourth quarter alone, 173. Up and down the field we went. But you got to stay in bounds. Your rookie tight end has to get his knee down on the goal line instead of just an inch short. We just failed to cash. Meanwhile, my defense held Jalen Hurts to three yards passing in the fourth quarter. The totality of the fourth quarter was Dak 173 pass yards to three for Jalen Hurts. We did everything but win that game, and this time we would win that game. We will win that game if we have to go to Philadelphia for the NFC Championship game. And then guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Super Bowl, here we come. Hmm. Mike McCarthy, once upon a time, won his one and only Super Bowl 13 years ago. But he won it as, guess what, a road wild card team for a Green Bay team that finished the season last six games going only three and three. 
Maybe there's some similarity there. Of course, he had Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. But I still have a pretty good one in Dak Prescott. And yes, I threw Dak's jersey in my trash can and left it there after that 42 to 10 thing. And yes, I threw Micah Parsons' jersey in my trash after we got buffaloed at Buffalo. But you know what? My team is at its best when the least is expected of it. Mike McCarthy in his career shows you he's at his best when you expect the least of him. I seriously, seriously, from my heart, love this written-off, no-hope scenario I've just detailed for you. I think it's highly possible. I think it's even probable. So I leave you with this. Go Lions. Next question. This is Gary from Los Angeles, California, who asks, have you ever been to Disneyland? Gary, I have been to Disneyland three times. I've been to Disney World many times because at ESPN, we used to go every winter for what was called ESPN The Weekend. I don't think they do that anymore. I like Disney World, but I love Disneyland because it's the original. It's the one I grew up dreaming about in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Every Sunday night, everybody watched, including me, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, that opening montage with Tinkerbell above the Magic Kingdom, When You Wish Upon a Star, Tomorrowland, Frontierland, Adventureland. It's surreal to me. It didn't, didn't really exist except in your imagination, at least so I thought. Growing up in Oklahoma City, we didn't have a lot of money. Our vacations consisted of little road trips to Dallas, St. Louis, Houston, San Antonio. Until I went to L.A. for my first time to work for the L.A. Times, I'd never been west of the Rockies. So Disneyland just existed somewhere deep in my imagination and my psyche. It just didn't seem real to me. I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again to preface this story. I did have the weirdest vision I must have been around 12 years old. I can see it like it was yesterday, and I have no idea why this entered my head when it did. But I was walking up the steps to my grandmother's house in Oklahoma City on 18th Street. And I flashed on the press box of the L.A. Coliseum, which I'd seen many times on television when USC played UCLA, whatever. 
I flashed on the press box and I saw myself sitting in the press box. I don't know why. I, I had no aspirations to be a newspaper writer or any kind of writer. I don't know why. But from 12 until I was, I just took about 12 years, 24-ish, my dream came true. And there I was up in the press box at the L.A. Coliseum covering the Rams, writing about USC long before Keyshawn played for the Trojans. And so it was. While I was writing for the LA Times, that I was assigned ahead of the Rose Bowl to cover visiting Michigan. Michigan was coming to Pasadena, the headquarters, of course, for the Rose Bowl. Would be here for the week ahead of a Rose Bowl game against USC. So I was assigned to cover every practice, every function, just to be around the Wolverines in their time in Los Angeles. And so it was that the PR people at Michigan told me that, well, one of the functions they were going to was Disneyland and that maybe there'd be a little media availability while the team was spending the day at Disneyland. So I said, I'm there. That was my first trip to Disneyland. It was a working trip, but a trip nonetheless. So I went, and I felt a little foolish following the Wolverines as they went through Tomorrowland, Frontierland, Adventureland. And if any of the players stopped to get something to eat or drink, I struck up a conversation, obviously identifying myself as LA Times reporter. They're all good kids. They're all good to me. I got some good stories out of that week. I was at Disneyland following them from land to land. Four or five hours late in the day, the sun was setting. I look over and at a little picnic table, there sat Coach Bo Schimbeckler, legendary coach at Michigan, by himself, taking a break, getting off his feet for a couple of minutes. He had seen me at practice. I waved to him. He waved back. I said, can I join you for a couple of minutes? He said, yeah, just for a couple. So I sat down. I think he liked me. One strength I had as a reporter was I could get people to talk to me. I kind of eased into a conversation about some of his draft-eligible kids who could go high. We talked about a linebacker he loved, and then we talked about a cornerback he didn't love. And he told me this is off the record, and I said, you can trust me. And the more he talked about the cornerback, the less I liked said cornerback. He went into some gory details, but they were true. It's just a good, honest conversation. 
the head coach's evaluation of, of why this cornerback won't amount to much at the next level. And by the way, he was right about that cornerback. So as the conversation wound up, I thanked Coach Bo. And as I got up to leave, he stood up and he grabbed my hand and squeezed it. And he looked me dead in the eyes from about six inches away, nose to nose. And he said to me, if you print any of what I told you about that cornerback, I will come and find you and I will knock your teeth out. He didn't grin. He didn't chuckle. He was deadly serious. He was going to come and find me and knock my teeth out. And I said, coach, you can trust me. And I was trustable. And I obviously did not print any of what he told me about that cornerback. But I did write a story with a different perspective than I would have had on my own without his guidance. But it did shake me up that Bo Schimbeckler had just looked me right in the eyes and said, I will come and find you and knock your teeth out. And I believe he not only meant it, but he was highly capable of just that. Even though at that point he was, I don't know, 30 years older than me. That was Bo Schimbeckler. And as I walked away, I looked around at whatever it was, Tomorrowland, and I thought, <laughs> I, I finally made it to Disneyland. I'm, I'm here. It's real. And it's so real that the legendary Michigan coach just threatened to knock my teeth out. And I thought, talk about surreal. I guess I have arrived. I tell this story only because we've come full circle. And as I speak, Michigan's football team, the number one seed in the college playoff tournament, is out here in Los Angeles getting ready to play Alabama in a national semifinal. May Bo Schimbeckler rest in peace. This is from Mike from Boston who asks, did you struggle keeping track of all the NBA Christmas Day games and the NFL lineup? Weirdly, Mike, that's a great question. But weirdly, I did not struggle. I expected to. I had my two TVs going at once. But I found myself fixating on the NFL games at the expense of the NBA games, Raiders, Chiefs, Giants, Eagles, and of course, Ravens, Niners. For the first time ever, the NFL truly bogarted the NBA on Christmas Day, big-footed the NBA on Christmas Day, flexed for all of us on Christmas Day. I did carefully watch Celtics versus LeBron because I watch every dribble of every LeBron game. 
it came and it went because right now the Celtics are just in another league from the Lakers. I don't think that's going to be the case come June. I don't. I do think that could be an NBA Finals preview. But, of course, it was followed by a Super Bowl preview, an NFL matchup, the likes of which we haven't had this late in the season for 30 years. I was there that day. The Cowboys played at the Giants for all the marbles late in that 1993 season. Jimmy Johnson's Cowboys against Dan Reeves' Giants. The Emmett Smith game, if you recall. This had just as much legendary potential. The two best teams this late in the year on Christmas night. I don't know how you could ask for a better gift from Santa, the NFL Santa, than that. Would you believe that on Tuesday, on Undisputed, it was the first time ever on the day after Christmas, we did zero NBA topics. I mean, seriously, the NBA season, even though it just starts on Christmas Day, as everybody says, that's the cliche, the NBA season is about a third finished. Well, the NFL season, obviously, is nearing the finish line. Ratings sensational for those games. Raiders, Chiefs, most watched Christmas Day game. Since 1989, there haven't been that many, but since 1989, Raiders Chiefs, I watched every second of it, couldn't get enough of it. Big Antonio Pierce fan. I'm, I'm at heart a Raiders fan because I was so close with Al Davis, the late great, the godfather. Can't help rooting for them and especially for the coach that I worked with so closely at ESPN, Antonio Pierce. Edge of seat. Not a big Mahomes fan. They continue to get exposed. Raiders rose and shone. I hope that clinched a long-term contract for Antonio Pierce. I was all over Eagles versus Giants just because I root against the Eagles because I'm a Cowboys fan. I hate the Eagles. I already predicted on Undisputed that the Eagles would lose one of their remaining two games against the Giants. I thought they were about to lose that one until Tyrod Taylor threw it to the rookie Ringo, the Eagles rookie in the end zone. I don't know what happened to Saquon. It looked like he got knocked down along the back line of the end zone. I think he was the intended target, but it came close. It wasn't a Hail Mary. It was from the 26-yard line. When it left Tyrod's hand, I thought, Touchdown. No. Game over. Whatever. There's still another game. This one at the Giants, where, by the way, my team won 40 to nothing. But that led to the nightcap. Ravens, Niners. Second most one, uh, excuse me, second most watched Monday night game in 27 seasons. 27 seasons. Wow. Well, when the night ended, I sat back and thought, as much as I love the NBA, I'm sorry, the NFL is still the league, the game, 
and it said on Christmas Day, watch this. And did we ever watch? This is Jonah from Charlotte, North Carolina. What did you get for Christmas? Pretty simple question with a complicated answer. Okay, just for the record, gift giving for me is a pet peeve. I'm a very generous gift giver, but I want to give gifts that I know will work, will please. Not gifts that ultimately wind up in the back of a closet or bottom of a drawer, or for that matter, in the trash. My mother always told me, it's the thought that counts. I get it. I get it. It's the thought. It doesn't really matter what you give as long as you give something. That's what she always taught me. But you know what? I can do better than that. I can do better if I know what you want, what would please you, what would make you happy, and I'll get it. But I need to know first. I can't guess because the odds are I'll guess wrong. So just for the record, just about every Saturday, my wife Ernestine and I walk. We're, we're just two blocks away from the Century City Mall. Here's the best mall in America. It's open air, just a couple of blocks away. It's jammed on Saturdays. Usually it's hard to park. So we just walk with our little daughter, Hazel, our you know, seven-year-old Maltese. She's a ball of fire. She's difficult to deal with, but she does better with people at the mall because it's such a parade of people. She knows it's not her turf. So we take her for a walk among the parade every Saturday. It's great. It's a lot of fun. A lot of dogs. Of course, Hazel wants to kill most of them. She thinks she's big enough to, and I don't know. I haven't let her try, but... I wouldn't put it past her. So when we go, I usually wear a baseball cap and sunglasses, and I get recognized some, not, not terribly much. I don't mind it at all. Ernestine does because it disrupts our brief time that we have together. But as we were walking, I did see in the Varvatos store window, John Varvatos, um, a, a purplish sort of leather jacket that I liked. Just caught my eye. I thought, I like that. Told Ernestine. I did try it on just to make sure I got the right size, and she got that for me. Beautiful. Worked. I'm very happy. Now for the flip side. It's so hard for me to buy for Ernestine. I want to buy for Ernestine, but I just don't even know where to start. So we fell into a pattern whereby before Christmas, before her birthday, before anniversary, whatever it is, I can either ask her, what do you want? Or one Saturday at the mall, whatever, we can shop. And she seemed to be happy with the prospect of, hey, just 
the world is your oyster. Whatever you want, we'll get it. So do you want to try something on? Do you want to look at jewelry? Do you, whatever you want, whatever your heart desires, it's a great mall. Everything's at that mall. Just, just let's shop. So this year I've been busier than ever. I didn't have much time to even ask her what she wanted. So I just planned in the back of my head that when we went to the mall on Saturday, the 23rd of December, that I would surprise her slightly by saying, hey, today's a good day to shop for you for Christmas. And I was hoping she'd go right along with it and say, oh, thank you. That's beautiful. Let's, you know, I was thinking I, I did see this in this store or whatever. This piece of jewelry I've been wanting. I, I thought maybe We could, we could kill two birds with that one stone, maybe a gemstone of some sort. I thought that she would be happy with that, and I caught her wrong place, wrong time, wrong mood, she, because I had to go to the mall to pick up something a couple of weeks before. She thought I was going to get her something, but I wasn't. And she got mad because she got surprised. And she said, you know, for once, I, I actually thought you were going to surprise me. And she gave me the lecture about, you know, Christmas is about wrapping gifts and giving gifts that, that get unwrapped on Christmas morning. And it threw me a curve. And it made me mad. And we fought. I got a little sullen. We didn't have a very good walk through the mall with Hazel. Her bad mood made my mood even worse. It was a bad day because I didn't see that coming. So now I'm stuck because the clock is ticking and I got nothing. So if she's not going to let me shop with her, I have no choice. When am I going to shop for her by myself? I got to go home and watch a Laker game. That was on Saturday evening. What was that at? Oklahoma City, I believe it was. It was that was the best game the Lakers have played all year. After, remember, Anthony Davis said, we're going to treat this like a must win, and did they ever. It's hard to win in Oklahoma City. I just watched Oklahoma City beat Minnesota at home. Minnesota's got the best record in the league in the West. And... So I'm going to watch the LeBron game. And so the clock is ticking. And I realize out here, the LeBron game's not going to end until 8-ish. Well, I'd seen while we're at the mall that the stores are going to stay open. I think until 10. So when the game ended in Oklahoma City, I just said, okay, I got no other choice. I said nothing to Ernestine. I put some clothes back on. Put my baseball cap back on. Not going to wear sunglasses because it's dark. The walk at night from where we live to the mall is slightly dicey, but I thought I'm just going to walk fast, head down. I'm just going to go do this. You can't drive because if you if you leave our place, you're going to you're going to literally have a hard time getting into the traffic to sit in the traffic to get in the mall. It would take forever to to drive the two blocks to that mall on that night because it was the most crowded I have ever seen it. Everybody 
was last minute shopping because on Christmas Eve, the stores are going to close early. And everybody said, tonight is the night, I suppose, including me. So I trudge by myself the two blocks, two, two and a half, three blocks maybe. I trudge up into the parade of people. I don't have my sunglasses on, so I got recognized a good bit. I stopped and talked to people. I, I don't mind it at all. I'm, I'm honored that I get recognized, but it was just crazy because they're looking at me like, what are you doing? Because I, I wasn't sure what I was doing. I had no plan. I marched down the mall. I look up at the first dress shop that I see, women's clothing store that I see. It's called Sandro. I'm going to give it a shout out because they were very nice to me. And I see this dress in the window. It's an evening gown. It's, it's glittery, bright gold evening gown. I don't even know what I'm doing. I just say, that looks like Ernestine. I'm going to buy that. I'm in a hurry. I'm not happy. And I march in, and the store is crowded. Usually there's nobody in those stores because everybody's buying online. But this is last minute, so everybody's in the store actually purchasing. But the guy who ran the store was very nice to me. And I said, do you have that dress in the window, the gold one, in extra small? Because that's what Ernestine wears, extra small is her size. She stays in great shape. And he said, I don't have it in the store, but I have it in storage in the mall, but I'm going to have to go get it. He said, it'll take me 15 minutes. I said, done. I said, if you have an extra small, I'll take it. And I walked a few minutes, looked around the mall for a few more minutes, got recognized a few more times, talked to a few more people, went back in 15 minutes, and he was true to his word. He had it. He boxed it up for me. I paid for it. And I marched home with that dress. Never done this before. And Ernestine had been wrapping many packages for many people back in the bedroom. And so as soon as she went out to do something else, I marched right in her bedroom and shut the door into the bedroom. It's where we sleep on the weekends, but where, uh, during the week I sleep in my own bed because I get up at two o'clock in the morning. But it's I call it her bedroom. It's the big bedroom. But I walk into the bedroom, and I see all of her wrapping paper. I have no idea how to wrap a package. I used to when I was like seven or eight years old. I wrapped a few, but I didn't know how. So I take the scissors, and I just hack away. And, and I did the worst wrapping job in the history of wrapping. And I didn't care, and I'm just slapping tape on it. But I covered it up. I got it covered up. I took it back in my office and hid it. And on Christmas Day, when it was time, and we give all of our cards to each other and gifts to each other, I presented her with this horribly wrapped package, which she happily tore open. And she happily discovered I had given her a gold evening gown for which she has no use. We have no plans to go to any events that I'm aware of. She has absolutely no use for that evening gown at this moment. And she 
genuinely, I believe, loved it. She was in awe of it. She was the happiest I've ever seen her on Christmas morning. Because I went on my own and I got her something I chose. And I surprised her with it. And my wife was the happiest I've ever seen her on Christmas morning. Who knew? Finally, this is from Brian from Wilmington, Delaware. What is your favorite Christmas tradition? Okay, Brian, I'm going to go secular and then spiritual, if you will. Just being honest. As I've said before, favorite tradition for my wife Ernestine and me every Christmas is the movies that we watch together traditionally year after year after year as I mentioned last week we do find ourselves with Home Alone or Home Alone 2 fast forwarding to the Pesci Daniel Stern scenes but this year we did watch Die Hard start to finish. It's become my favorite Christmas movie. And I must tell you, it, it gets better every year. I think I enjoyed Die Hard even more this year than I have in previous years. That movie just lasts. I, I never fail to, to say, oh, I didn't notice that. It's, I've watched it, I don't know, 43 times, and I'm still noticing little detail. Oh, I didn't notice that. Interesting. Die Hard. And then, as far as Christmas comedies go, we jointly decided this year, after watching Christmas Vacation yet again, that it's eclipsed Home Alone on the Laugh Factor scale. It's just, it is just so funny and gets funnier by the year. That sledding scene on the metal disc, I don't even know what he's on, but he coats it with whatever he invents, takes off. The two cool neighbors, the squirrel in the tree, it's just, it, we have never laughed harder at a Christmas movie than this year we laughed at Christmas Vacation. And then finally, from the heart, I've said before, that 1938 version of A Christmas Carol, Reginald Owen as Scrooge, touches my heart, is close to my heart, because I've had some Scrooge in me. But if you get down to my favorite deep down heartfelt tradition, for me, there's nothing better than going to church on Christmas Eve. It's the most magical night of the year for me. It's Star of Bethlehem night. It's lying in the manger night. It's singing carols with the congregation, First Noel, O come all ye faithful, it's hearing the choir sing 
What child is this? It's a magical night. And yet this year, I failed to make it to church, our church. The service started at 5 p.m. out here in Los Angeles. Cowboys were at the Dolphins. It lasted past one, I'm sorry, past 4.30 out here. If you're going to make it into our sanctuary for the Christmas Eve service, you, you have to be there by 4.30 at the very latest, so the game's still going, coming down to the wire. I failed. I didn't make it. I let work prevail once again. Maybe I'm wrong. But I've never been one to let anything get in the way of my work, which is my passion, which is my life. I don't even call it work. When I say that word here, it seems wrong. Maybe someday I'll grow up, wake up, wise up. And as Ernestine always says, you just need to stop and smell a few flowers. Merry Christmas, Ernestine. Love you. That's it for episode 94. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed, every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week.